Ladies and gentlemen, your captain here again. Just a reminder, our in-flight service... There once was a man. Not just any man. A real man. As opposed to one of those battery-powered ones. Okay, you can stop that now. I can't hear you, I'm a robot. Come on, knock it off. Does not compute. And he's coming to you. Right here. Right now. Pronto. And all that other can of rot. He is no superstition. Why don't I get a shovel from the yard so I can fertilize it with all this crap? He is the genuine real deal. You're really going to be abnormal after this show. You know, I never realized how smooth the skin between your acne is. So I'm just trying to get a rise out of you, that's so. It's an outrage. And he always uses his gender-assigned restroom. Ladies and gentlemen, however you choose to identify, here he is on Sky Blue Radio. It's J.T. How you doing, folks? J.T. here. Sky Blue Radio sounds great at any altitude. It is going to be a great night here, folks. Guess who I have? Yep, it is he, Robert Randazzo from PMDG. Man, last time he was on, we had a great time. The time before that was a great time. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get some info out of him. What do you guys think? I think I can grab some info out of him. Hmm. Well, we'll just see how good of a interviewer I really am, I guess, huh? <laughs> All right. So here we go. Robert, are you there, sir? I sure am, yeah. All right. Welcome to Sky Blue Radio, sir. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm actually sitting here chuckling. I had my finger on the mute button because as soon as you started to talk, my golden retriever, who was sound asleep, sat bolt upright and started barking her full head off. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> Anybody. Yeah. So well, good. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. Uh glad the week is over and ready to settle in tonight with some PMDG flying. How about you? Uh I actually I may do the same. Um so you know, I I don't get to actually fly the airplanes a whole lot just for relaxation and enjoyment, but we're in a little bit of a work lull, so um I just might. That sounds good. You fly the eight hundred or which which one's your favorite? I guess let's start off with that. What which one is your favorite? You can't say all of them. I actually, you know, I I have a thing for the six hundred, and I really I think it just yeah, it just has to do with its high altitude performance. You know, I I get bored clawing my way up to the higher flight levels, so um, you know that one you can just plug in a high flight level and off you go. It gets you above everybody else and off you go. So I like that one. <clears throat> Where uh, do you fly online, like FatSim or IBAO or anything? You know, uh, I'm afraid to. Why? You're a pilot. Yeah, that's why I'm afraid to. Because oh. if I screw up, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you like, never hear the end of that one, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, like, so I literally, like, two nights ago, getting vectored into an approach just got absolute. Got what we call here locally the Potomac Shuffle. Um, which is when the Potomac controllers try to make their own lives easy by jamming you into uh, an, an arrival where you're basically going to link up to the final approach course at the final approach fix, you know, maybe turning 150 degrees like they were trying to do to us the other night. Oh, wow. 
And, you know, okay, yeah, you blow through the center of the course line. You're trying, desperately trying to turn to get the thing back, and the controller's barking at you because you went through the center. And you're like, you know, hey, it's a machine. It'll only turn so fast. But um, I would rather do that in the real world than do it on VATSIM because on VATSIM, someone's going to say, this guy claims to be a real-world pilot, and he couldn't even make that approach work. <laughs> you know, yeah. whereas in the real world, every pilot's going to look at that and go, boy, they really screwed you on that deal. A, a, a true pilot will never blame another pilot. They'll always blame the controllers. So. Of course. And, yeah. of course, the, the controllers always blame the pilots too, right? Uh, well, yes, and you should have <laughs> you heard the one bark at us on the frequency the other night. <laughs> <laughs> You can. There's a tone of derision that comes into the voice, and you just you sit there. And the, the guy that I was flying with, I just looked at him, and I'm like, "This is not our fault." And then the second time they did it, I looked at him, and I'm like, "It's definitely not our fault." The third time they got smart, they actually took us out and put us on the approach properly, so uh, it worked the third time. But you know. Oh wow, that must have been to Reagan, I guess, right? Um, no, it was uh, a, a, a different airport, and I and I'm just, I'm I'm actually going to be cagey and not say where it was because you know it's uh, G14 um, classified. Yeah, no, well, I fly a private airplane, so I, I don't want to make a big I don't deal blame out you. of it. Yep, yeah, I don't blame um, you. But um, yeah, but uh, you know, I've I've been working with Potomac for gosh thirty years, and um, you know, some things don't change, but they you know they do a great job in some areas, and you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not a perfect system. And, you know, they've been trying to modernize, I think, for for quite a few years, as far as I can remember. And uh, it, it just amazes me that it's it's taken so long to for them to upgrade and stuff like that and training and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I feel for those guys and and uh, definitely you guys, too, because you're going through the same thing that they are. Right. And, you in know, a sense. one of the things that actually is really pretty darn cool um you know in gosh early in my airline career air traffic controllers suddenly got radar and for the first time this is late 90s now first time they were able to see what we were crying about out the front window of the airplane and you know we were constantly calling and saying can we deviate left or right and they literally couldn't see what we were asking to go around now they can um well, that's and you know, we were um, we were coming back from the the uh, the West Coast uh, uh, last week, week before, um, and we just we got a reroute. Um, oh, sorry, no, it was on the way out there, and there was a massive line of storms going you know, over top of Chicago, Lake Michigan, that area. Yeah, and you know, we were watching it on the next route on our iPads, but we were way out of radar range of it. And uh, you know, approach controller called us, told us to get a pen handy, had a whole had you know a fairly significant route clearance for us. And so we copied it all down and you know hand jam it into the box, and you know off we go. Um, and you, when we started to look at what they had just given us, it was very obvious to us they can see what we can see and they're just making the plan ahead of time because they know we're not going to go through it. So, yeah. um, so the, the, the advent of the technology that they're giving to controllers now is, you know, it's, and it's far better than it was 20 years ago, even. Um, and the controllers are getting more proactive. Um, and, and I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, some folks out there with control knowledge that understand why all of a sudden it seems like they are, more proactive but it it puts us all on the same team and that's a pretty cool thing um you know it's uh i mean one less one less transaction for that controller when you know we call and 
you know, ask if we can deviate 30 left, you know, for 75 miles to get around something, they know we're going to ask for it. So they just do it. Uh, and and it just cool. builds a better flow for them. So yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. <clears throat> I didn't know that I had gotten that far. So that that's good to know. Yeah, it has. And I, and I actually got a really cool picture um, while we were out there doing this. Cause it was the first time I have seen radar shadowing in real time on the radar um in about probably about 20 years um and the um you know i i, I had saw it a bunch uh you know flying turboprops up and down the east coast but um i haven't really seen it uh from a jet uh, ever um mm. and got a really just a just a fantastic photograph of what that radar shadowing looks like and was able to kind of like, you know, hold my my wimpy little iPhone up so that I could get the radar picture and you could see through the cockpit window this massive wall of, of hell that we were looking at. Um, yeah. And so you could sort of see what was creating the radar shadow uh, down below. So you just being a geek, it kind of, you know, it sort of thrilled me. And I've, I've, I'll probably drop that into a, a thread in the PMDG forum at some point when... Um, when people are asking, you know, why we haven't bothered to implement weather radar yet, um, you know, with uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. So, um, you know, to, to show that you're like, hey, this is this is what it really looks like yeah. versus, you know, what we've got to work with in the sim. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I might drop that in there. I have to edit out some pieces first. That That's funny that you mentioned that because actually I was just going to ask you about weather radar for Microsoft Flight Simulator. Well, I kind of gave you the lead in there. You See, did. we've done Thank the camp now. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like give you that. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but before you tell us about that, uh, let yeah. me introduce you, of course, to everybody that's out there. Um, oh, yeah. you, you've been on here you know, two or three times with us, and we certainly appreciate that. So to all the listeners out there, we're talking with Robert Randazzo. He's the uh, president, founder, uh, the boss at PMDG Simulations. You can check him out at uh, PMDG dot com and there's all kinds of excellent information from their website and some incredible products i'm a pmdg geek so uh, i'm really happy with the products and uh, have a real good time uh, flying their stuff so uh, robert thank you once again for for being here and if if you have questions for robert you certainly can can shoot them over to us just uh, shoot me an email if you want jt at skyblueradio.com or uh, join the sky blue radio discord at uh, skyblueradio.com as well. There's a link at the top that says chat with us. Just give it a click and uh, you'll be you'll be with us and that would be pretty cool too. So uh, Robert, uh, tell us about Weather Radar. Yeah, so um, there's really not a whole lot to say about it at this point. We are working with a, a new SDK from Asobo that... Um, that is, you know, it's it's another step forward, um, and I and I think that that's uh, an important piece to point out that that Asobo has a they've got a path that they're following, and um, you know, like like anything that's worth waiting for, we're not going to get it, you know, all at once. We're going to get it in not. pieces. Yeah. And so we have taken kind of a preliminary look at what's listed in the SDK. There's not a lot of information in there yet. The documentation tends to lag a little bit behind the, uh, the beta versions of the SDK. So, um, but we've, we've seen some comments from other developers have not taken the time to verify their veracity. 
Um, but I, just based on what little I've seen, it doesn't yet sound like we've got real-time precipitation discrimination. Um, and so that sort of tells me we probably have something similar to what we had in um, in other, you know, in, in prepared and in uh, in FSX, where you know we can tell if there's precipitation, but we can't tell you know how much or what it is or you know what the what the size or rate is, and and there's a lot of that kind of stuff that we need to really build a simulation of what a weather radar return looks like. Um, and a lot of simmers have said, well, hey, you know, just, you know, put anything on the screen. You know, it'd be nice to know what's there. And, and yeah, we we could probably do that. Um, the, uh, you know, it, then, then you get into a whole debate about, well, you know, is it realistic? Is it not realistic? Should we only do something that's perfectly realistic? Or should we just do something that's informative? Should we give people an option, which, you know, makes people on the PMDG, makes developers on the PMDG team itch when I start talking about options. But um, <laughs> that means you know, work. We, yeah, right. Exactly. It means twice as much work usually yeah, or three right. times. Um, but what we are, uh, what we're hoping for is that we will get either a, you know, a true no joke simulation of radar capability from Asobo, and and if they would just build that whole thing for us and make it work perfectly, that would just suit me fine because it's one massive headache that we don't have to take on. Um, so, uh, but you know, or if they give us access to the you know the the uh, geometric, geographic, and and um, you know precipitation type and rate data that we need to be able to create that model on our own, that would be cool too. Um, and then we could build a, a proper simulation of, of what a radar return should look like, um, uh, and then turn around and draw that on the screen. It's, um, you know, there's a, I think a, an oversimplified expectation in the SIM community as, as to what radar really gives you. Um, I, yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, it is. Radar is really, really complicated. Um, and there's... Um, uh, you know, we've, we worked with, um, uh, with Hi-Fi and then, uh, with, uh, the folks at Rex to take, you know, they built an amalgamation of, of data that would allow us to create a reasonable facsimile of what a radar return would look like still really far from good. Um, uh, I personally, as someone who has been using radar in airplanes for, you know, 26 years, mm-hmm. um, Never, I never bother to turn it on in 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 the sim. I, I just I find it to be so unrealistic that it breaks the, um, you know, it 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 sort of you know breaks that uh, um, that that sense of disbelief for me, and so I I just never turn it on. But, um, but I also have the I have the advantage of sitting behind one of these darn things for you know for a couple of decades looking at it, and yeah. and I understand what I should be seeing. So I would love to be able to give that to simmers. Um, and you know, but there's a cheat also in here that that I'm kind of secretly hoping for, and and that is that, you know, the fifth or sixth generation radar. I forget which generation we're on now in aviation. Um, you know, the airplane that I fly is still like generation three. So, um, but modern radar uses a lot of signal processing um, and a lot of um, computational um, dynamics to make a decision about what it will show you and and it attempts to eliminate 
distractive data um, and it attempts to you know to really only put on the screen hey this is something you need to worry about um, so you can be flying along in your you know in your your sixth generation radar equipped or fifth generation whichever one i said earlier uh, we're on and uh, you can be flying along in that airplane and never see anything on the radar because the radar system decides oh, you don't need to see that um, and that sounds sort of uh, a little bit orwellian but um, but the reality is anything that reduces your workload on the flight deck is a good thing um, yeah. and the these new generation radars uh, like you know what's in the max you know they put there's icons on the screen for you know for uh, rotational activity or you know a high prop a, um, a high probability of hail um, there's a bunch of cool little things there, and it would really be fun to show that. Um, and, you know, if we get to that, that is a really, really complex process, but um, but it also kind of means a simplification of what we draw on the screen because those radars disregard everything that would be non-consequential to the airplane. Um, and and most of what we see on a radar return is non-consequential. So um, so anyway, it's uh, it's it's neat. And it would be fun to have, you know, a good radar simulation and to be able to show people, you know, how we use it in the real world to to try and, and uh, get a picture of what's going on ahead of us. Um, you know, especially the older generation radar where, you know, it's got an auto mode, but the auto mode's kind of useless. So you you wind up becoming really good at building a 3D picture of the space ahead of you by using the azimuth and, and using SLU and, and using the um, the declination to be able to look inside weather to see what's there so that when you get to it, you you know what to expect. Yeah. Um, Plan in advance. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, uh, you know, with Microsoft Flight Sim, uh, I, I pretty much jumped over uh, to that pardon me 100 percent, pretty much now uh and i've been using the microsoft flight sim weather you know the live weather and uh it doesn't seem at least for me it doesn't seem too reliable uh you know sometimes it's it's good and sometimes it it isn't so i've been trying that rex since you mentioned that i've been trying that rex uh, uh add-on and that's pretty cool um i've been in some lightning storms lately and uh uh, that's pretty cool. So, um, so yeah. Now, now, JT, do I have to give you the lecture about that you're supposed to stay away from where the lightning is? Do Do we need to go back to the basics here? Well, yeah. Uh, I didn't. I, I didn't realize that until I got struck by lightning two or three times. So, I was like, you know, I really, I really shouldn't be in this stuff. Uh, maybe I should just go, you know, somewhere else. But the pictures that- are so nice, right? Yeah, well, you know, there, you know, there's an adage in um, in flying that that radar uh, will help you keep the paint on the airplane because you know when you go flying through raindrops at you know 250 knots, it'll peel the paint off the airplane. Um, and but that a strike finder, if you can't afford radar, um, a strike finder will keep the wings on the airplane because if you see a conglomeration of of radar of um, uh, lightning strikes appear on your strike finder you don't need to know anything else other than don't go there um so uh so strike finders are actually pretty cool too if you ever get into one of those in real world flying huh no i haven't i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out now that you mentioned that that's pretty cool yeah huh. well i uh, tell you what we have our first question uh oh, from no. john catlow he's listening from london england 
and he would like to know any updates on the release of the 737 Max, and is it planned after the NG series? And uh, to kind of add on to that, uh, why don't you just kind of you know bring us up to date on uh, where we are and and kind of what direction you're going? So the 737-900 series is in development, um, and it's uh, it's not in testing yet. We uh, a couple of members of the team really starting to show some signs of burnout. Um, these guys have been working really, really hard for about three and a half years without a break. Um, and we, uh, we just sort of collectively decided that, um, you know, with the 800 out, give a couple of members of the team a chance to catch their breath a little bit and, and then uh, we'll get the 900 wrapped up. Um, I expect the 900 will probably go into beta testing, um, about third week of September. Um, and uh we'll probably see that release you know four or five weeks after that um the um after the 900 goes out at that point we we consider the ng series to be finished and we will be working on uh the triple seven and uh and the triple seven will be the primary uh, development cycle coming next and uh, Max will slot in somewhere in there. Um, and I'm going to be cagey about where Max is going to slot in for two reasons. One, um, there are competitors in the marketplace that like to listen to me talk about, oh, we're going to do this and then this and then this and then this so they can figure out you know, where to drop their competing products in. And I, I derive great pleasure in making... Um, life miserable for anyone who's trying to do that. So, um, so I'm going to be a little bit cagey about it, but I will say that we do want to put a triple into the marketplace before the next 737, simply because we're worried about 737 fatigue at this point. Um, right. the, you know, we, we've got, we've now, uh, we've got three seven threes on the market. We're about to add a fourth and, we're uh, getting ready to slot them into marketplace as well. So it's it's going to be, you know, PMDG, I mean, um, 737 Palooza. Um, and if we just roll right into Max, it's, you know, Max is, Max is slightly different than the NG. I think people will be surprised when they, when they actually get to fly it. It's, it is fundamentally the same airplane um, with some, some, you know, a little bit of cool new tech and, and you know, some bigger, screens so that you can stream netflix and that sort of stuff but that's um um you didn't laugh jt you're not paying attention um so anyway the, um, <laughs> just see if you're still there um so the uh so the 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 max is going to be slipstreamed into our other development cycles uh because the Max is really not a terribly difficult airplane for us um given the foundational work we've already done with uh, with NG, yeah. we've always known Max was coming afterward. Um, you know, before Microsoft Flight Simulator got announced, we had planned on doing our our seven three seven NG update and then roll right into Max. So so all of that foundational work was already in place. Um, so it's not a terribly difficult thing for us to do. So you know we will, you know, if I were to guess, and I, and I'm guessing at this point, this is not you know supposed to be some like double secret hint or anything literally i'm i'm you know this is what we talk about in company discussions is that you know we will 
um, you know, we'll be working on triple seven. Uh, there's a couple of releases in the triple seven cycle and somewhere in there we'll drop a max in. Um, and it, it may, uh, come with very short notice. It might come with like, you know, slightly longer notice. Um, you know, you might just wake up one morning and there's a max there. Um, you know, it, it really depends. Uh, it depends on how smoothly the triple seven dev cycle goes. It depends on, um, the burnout level of, of a few key members of the team. Um, the, uh, and, and, you know, so, but it's, but somewhere, somewhere in there and, you know, you never know, we might just decide the market has max fatigue and we might slipstream it into the middle of the seven, four dev cycle. It's, it's hard to say it it's coming. Um, but, uh, but right now we are wrapping up the 900 dev cycle. We've already got some developers that are shifting so that more, that more than half of their dev time is spent on triple um than it is on on uh, on ng so um over the next six to eight weeks i expect about three quarters of the 737 dev team will be spending three quarters of its time on triple uh, seven work and uh, in order to keep that accelerating because we've got a um we've got an aggressive agenda to get that on the market nice what about the 757 that should be in there somewhere right oh that's coming next week yeah, i didn't tell you that yeah that's what you said last time. I know. I guess I lied. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's going to be a secret too. I'm, I'm taking yeah, it. Don't, yeah, don't tell me when I said that. Yeah. Um, right. You know, I probably shouldn't have even joked about it. Like, oh, it's coming next week. Now someone's going to be, you know, jumping up and down and screaming. But he said. Yeah. Um, so a little little bit of humor for those that are humor impaired. Yes. Um, so, and I, and hey, you'll be happy to know. Okay. I bought another 757 model and it's, it is now joined the other one on the desk. So, wow. you know. Yeah. I, now you're doing it on purpose. I also bought an L1011 model. Did I tell you that? No, you didn't. But, uh, you know, L1011, those things have been around. I don't think there's any flying anymore, right? I don't believe there are. Um, but I, I don't honestly know. But I, I built a model of an Eastern Airlines one when I was a kid. And I, oh, I, wow. Eastern I saw Airlines. one. It was just, you know, it's like, you know, you anyway, I, I saw one on eBay and I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. I'm going to get that and add it to my shelf here in the office. So, you know, that's cool. Yeah. I can't remember the name of that guy that used to run uh, Eastern Airlines, Frank something. Lorenzo. That's him. Yeah. The guy that, that uh, pretty much shut them down, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Frank Lorenzo. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He, um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can go down that road. Tell us about the, um, the DC six. Um, what do you uh, want to know? Espen Torgerson is asking: uh, Will there be any more updates to the DC six? There will. Um, so th uh, there will be updates for the DC six in Microsoft Flight Simulator. It is not determined if there will be updates um, on any of the legacy platforms. Um, so DC6 is what we consider to be a mature product. Um, there are some things that we do want to do and add to it. Um, the, um, you know, we've got this new universal uh, flight tablet coming. Um, we do want to add that to, um, um, to the, um, uh, to, we do, we do want to add that to the DC six. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons why we want to do that because it, it unifies it with the, the rest of the fleet of PMDG airplanes. Um, and I still have a, a really strong desire to dig deeper into the engine start process. Um, 
because starting radial engines is a bit of an art form. Um, it's it's sort of a cross between science, religion, and art. And yeah, right. um, I'd, I'd like to, I would like to model that a little bit more deeply. Um, and it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so, you know, so there's still some things we want to do, but, you know, like everything is a matter of developer time and, and that sort of stuff. But we are, we're, we're very comfortable with the level of stability, the DC six. Um, it got an update, I think at the end of May, um, might've been the end of April. I they they all tend to run together for me after a while, yeah. but, um, but it was sort of hilarious. You know, we had, we had someone jumping up and down and, you know, uh, screaming about the fact that it was, you know, it must be abandoned where, and we pointed out to him that, you know, the last update for the product had been like three weeks prior. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it's, there's a, um, it's, it's funny that the, we came up with our new operations center a few years ago specifically so that we could deliver small updates, targeted updates, um, very specifically to our products without users having to go through the burden of downloading, you know, another 500 megabytes of something. And um, we've used that fairly well to to tie up loose ends and small things. Um, and we have used that with uh, DC six, we're using it with the seven three sevens. Um, and there's a mythology that, you know, well, if you're not issuing updates, then you've abandoned the product. And, you know, and as a developer, I would say, well, what would happen if we released a perfect product that had no bugs? Right. Should we simply send out releases just to make people think that we care? Um, so we view the DC six as being a very stable product. You know, does it, you know, are there things that we can do to improve it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, that will never end. Um, but we consider it to be a, a live product and a, and a product that will get attention at cycles as we go forward. It's hard to predict what those cycles will be. Um, when you look at the rest of our product catalog, it's pretty clear we're very, very busy and, and we are a small team. So I, I have to be very careful not to overpromise. Um, but, uh, but for those that are, that are worried or wondering, the DC6 is a, is a pet love of mine. So, um, so the dev team doesn't really get to down tools and walk away from that one because, you know, I'm always sitting there fiddling with it and saying, well, what about this? And could we fix that? <laughs> That's <laughs> so, funny. You yeah. used to own a DC, was a DC six or DC three you used to own? I owned a DC three for 11 years. That's what um, it was. Yeah. I, I just sold it. Had, had, did we talk about that the last time I was yeah. on? I can't remember. Yeah. Last time you said you had just sold it and you were really depressed and. Yeah. Know, and I don't so, blame you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, my, uh, so my, my lovely wife bought me a, like a 12 gallon bottle of Johnny Walker and, and I'm about halfway through it now. So the medication's working. Um, <laughs> I, I miss the airplane dear, dearly. I really I do. do. Um, but it's, you know, I, I walk into the hangar and, and I look up and then I realize it's gone and it kind of sucks, but there was a there was a really sound reason to do it and i'm and i'm glad i did it um it's a it is a chapter of my flying career that will never be paralleled I, there's no way i could ever repeat it unless of course i get really lucky and hit the lottery and go buy a dc6 um, yeah you know i mean that that could happen right so um yeah, i'm sure there's a lot running around for you to buy too right uh there's i think there's one yeah. 
what's crazier than owning a dc3 owning a dc6 um so anyway you know i'd i'd have to i'd have to hit uh hit one of those like mega lotteries for like 300 million before i could get into something like that but anyway we'll see what was that uh mickey up there at uh oh shoot mikey at, at um uh, uh buffalo airways yeah buffalo airways they yeah. have dc3s uh and I can't remember what the other one was, the four-engine one that they have up there. Uh, They've got, um, I think, three fours and threes, fours, and sixes. I'm not sure what the actual flying status is of the four or their sixes. Um, but they've uh, they've also switched over to the uh, the Lockheed Electras. That's what um, it was, the Electra. That's and, what I was thinking about. Yeah, and uh, and and Mikey's all excited because they've they've got a 737 coming uh, if if it's not actually there and, and running already. So. Um, wow. Yeah, I so, saw that uh, he he said something the other day about uh, the Electro was back up in the air, so that's really cool. I don't know why I, I kind of like that 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 uh, aircraft. So, yeah, I was um, we were on the ground the other day um, at a, a sort of a mixed use Air Force Base civilian airport, and um, and a P three landed and went into reverse, and I tapped my wife on the shoulder and I pointed. I'm like, look, that's a P three. And she, you know, she kind of did the double blink and looked at me and looked at the airplane and looked back at me. And I, I think she was maybe wondering if she should have married a lawyer or something instead. <laughs> but, um, the, uh, you know, I, I get all excited when I see, you know, yeah. airplanes like that. Yeah, I agree. I, I would do the same thing. Um, what was I just going to ask you about? Oh, so we just talked about the DC-6 update. What about... Um, legacy simulators i mean are we still doing stuff for you know prepared or or is x-plane uh coming back in the future or are you are you just staying where you're at we are um we've got a couple of items that we are planning to push into prepared they're they're updates for existing product lines so for example we just moved our new lateral flight path model into the 737 in Microsoft Flight Simulator. Yeah. That was actually developed in prepared um, because we still don't have a debugger um, for uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. <coughs> cough, um, cough. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Hello, Sobo, are you listening? Um, so, yeah, we still don't have a, a debugger that allows us to work the way we need to work um, in Microsoft Flight Simulator. So we do our heavy lifting in prepared. So the good news for our prepared users, um, you know, the four or five of them that are still out there, um, we, um, uh, we're planning to push an update to the 737 for prepared that includes the new lateral flight path. Um, the, um, you know, right now it's, it's sitting in the, in the, the chiller waiting for us to actually, you know, give it, give it some attention. Um, that hopefully will happen once we get the whole team back from vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we'll push that out. And then the new lateral flight path is, um, it is already in the 747. Uh, and I believe it's already in the triple as well. Um, so then those two would get updated with that new lateral flight path as well. So, um, we've got a new flight director model, um, that is in the 737 and Microsoft flight simulator that likewise would also get pushed to the other three product lines. So that's really what we'll see with our prepared product lines. We're probably not pushing any new models anytime soon, and we're probably not pushing, 
new graphics anytime soon. We're probably looking at code refinements, behavior refinements, things of that nature. Um, the What we are finding is that the model work for Microsoft Flight Simulator is about 40,000 times more detailed than what we can do in um, in prepared. So it's, you know, we can't just simply, you know, click and drag a model back to the other platform. So, uh, but code we can, and and we move it back and forth all the time. So, um, so the updates that we push will be predominantly uh, code-based at this juncture. So um, we have not made any decisions yet about future development for prepared. Um, I will say that the future looks kind of grim. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I've always been candid with our with our users. I, I, a lot of people like to parse everything I say as if I'm trying to hint at things. Um, if you actually, you know, listen to what I say, I'm usually pretty blunt about, you know, yes, what I'm you thinking. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we've gone from, uh, you know, three years ago, 80% of our revenue was coming from prepared. Um, we're down now to less than 5% of our revenue comes from prepared. A big part of that is driven by the massive size of the Microsoft Flight Simulator market. Um, but there's more big. to that metric than than that. Um, the you know new new product sales into the, the prepared marketplace are down about ninety two and a half percent year over year. Um, so the use metrics that we see, and we and we take use metrics from a, a bunch of different things, whether it's you know form traffic, whether it's uh, support tickets, uh, and that sort of thing. There has been a significant decline in the uh, in the use of our products in prepared, and and you know that that doesn't mean that we just kind of pack up and walk away. We you know we very much feel that. Um, to the extent that we can continue to support those products, we will. The question is, will we do anything new? Um, and that's really hard to say at this point. It would, a lot of it hinges on what happens next um, with um, Microsoft Flight Simulator and the status of uh, getting a debugger that C++ developers can use. If If we can develop a brand new product from the ground up in Microsoft Flight Simulator without having to do all the piggybacking over to prepared first, then we would probably end development and prepared. Um, but honestly, I don't see that happening. Um, you know, I, I we've we've been hearing for years now that we were going to have a, a C plus plus debugging capability. We have some, but it is kind of it's at about the level we were at in like 1995 um, in terms of you know, debugging C++ code. So it makes it really, really hard. Um, so we're still very reliant on prepared. And, you know, for those that like the platform, that's a great thing for you guys because it means that we are still there. Um, so, um, but anyway, so the short version for those that, you know, tune me out. Um, we are, um, you know, we've got some updates coming for the prepared products that are already on the market, but we don't know at this juncture if there will be new products or, or you know, significant product overhauls in, in that platform's future. I wonder if you'd considered, uh, you know, maybe the 757 for prepared. Have you thought about that at least? <laughs> have I mentioned I got two of them on the desk? Yeah, <laughs> you have actually. <laughs> Let's do a quick uh, station ID. You listen to JT here on Sky Blue Radio with Robert Randazzo from 
PMDG. Check them out, pmdg.com. What's up? This is the original flow, OG flow for short, and you're listening to the JT Show only on Sky Blue Radio. So uh, uh, another question uh, came in from Marcelo Ergzen. I'm sorry if I probably butchered that. He's listening from Brazil, wants to know about the 737 source code. <coughs> Pardon me. And can it be reused for the 777 to make your, your development process faster? And uh, what's the possibility of the release in 2022? I think we co- we covered a little bit of that, I think. Uh, but do you want to expand at all? Uh, Marcelo, todo bem, todo bem. Um, it's all good. <laughs> the uh, we have um, we have a very very mature code base at this point for the triple seven. And the 737 was a brutally difficult project for us. Um, Much like, it it actually reminded me a lot of very early in PMDG's history, we moved from Fly to Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, It was FS2002 at the time. Um, That was a difficult process for us too, because we were learning a, a new platform. The 737 development was just difficult. Um, everything was hard. And um, and it, was, it wasn't hard because there was anything wrong with Microsoft Flight Simulator. It was hard because it was new. Um, and, and it required a completely different way of approaching problem solving and, 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 a, and a different thinking when it came to implementation. Um, uh, you know, I, I I like to point out I was having a conversation uh, with Jorg Newman from Microsoft. Um, uh, gosh, almost a year ago this happened, uh, and he was looking at our DC six, and and we were having a conversation about something else business related, and and at the end of the call, he said, "Hey," he said, "Do me a favor." He said, "Tell your modelers." that they can dial it up more. And he said, tell them just dial it up, dial it up, dial it up. Um, Hmm. And so they were not thrilled to hear me say that to them, but I said it to them anyway. Um, And we literally wound up going back and redoing a whole bunch of stuff on both the external model and the, um, and the, the cockpit. And in retrospect, the guidance was absolutely right. And, and what happened was, you know, we'd spent 20 years doing everything we could to save vertexes and save faces and save pixels and, you know, and um, developing techniques to augment a low resolution texture into an area that you weren't going to look at that often. So it didn't really stand out as low res, but it was, and therefore it took up less memory. And, um, and here we have a platform that is absolutely a gem. And I've been, um, I've been saying this for some time. I mean, there is, absolutely nothing out there that looks as good as Microsoft Flight Simulator looks. Um, and, um, oh, the, okay, I just heard all the DCS guys just started screaming. I'm a DCS guy too. I, Your I phone's going to start ringing. Oh, geez. I got to be careful what I say. Um, the uh, I love DCS, by the way. I absolutely love DCS. Um, but I'm, for the what I'm talking about specifically is for you know, civilian simulators. Um, but you know, we have been able to just pump detail level into the sim. And we've been doing that in real time 
with the 737, um, you know, one of the things we we have said all along is that, you know, this is a it's an early adapter period for us because we are still adapting to Microsoft Flight Simulator. And so we're figuring out how high can we push the detail levels before we start to see performance issues. Um, and we're a little bit astounded at just how high we can go. And so we continue to do that. Um, but it's made development really hard. The good news is with 777, we've already been through that piece. So we already have a strategy. As a matter of fact, I was discussing it with uh, uh, with, with Chris and with Henning this morning about um, the, the strategy for starting to move the code process forward for 777 um, to you know really get that accelerated because we already we've done this once and we know where the knee knockers are and we know which avenues we went down that we had to then back up out of and then go down another avenue and back up out of that one and go down on yet another one before we finally figured out where we were going we can skip all of mo hopefully we could skip most of those um those knee knockers and and um uh, you know and those those misdirections and go right in, in the correct direction so while the the 737 code won't get used in the um in the 777 to go back to marcelo's question um the the 737 code base is its own code base because a 737 is the bastard stepchild of the boeing fleet it has so little in common with the other airplanes um but the the 777 itself because it just went through a massive overhaul with our 200 er release that is really just primed and ready to go um and uh, i'm really looking forward to uh, seeing just how quickly it'll go through because it's going to be it is i need to knock on wood because i'm i'm superstitious but um yeah, it's going to be so much nicer a process than the 737 was in part because we've been down the road before we know we know how to how to make it happen so um so i'm excited about that okay good what about uh the uh electronic flight bag that's that's coming somewhere right yep um so we um Actually, I got a, I got a little preview of it the other day that was really kind of exciting. Um, the, um, the, it's actually we're, we're sort of in this conundrum because electronic flight bag has an FAA definition, um, which sort of connotates a whole bunch of certainties that, um, that that really are ugly. Um, so we've been referring to it as the PMDG's universal flight tablet um, and we're calling it that because there are going to be tools embedded in it that are universal to all the airplanes in pmbg's fleet and so um so when you load the 737 and you use the tablet for your navigraph charts and then you um you know then you do your interface with simbrief and then you um you do your um uh, your performance computations for you know takeoff cruise and landing that process and that workflow will be identical in the 737 and the 777 and the 747. So um, you'll recall, uh, JT, that we put a tablet in the, we put a, an EFB in the 777, yep. excuse me, 747-8. And that was a model of the, the one that Boeing actually offers. And then we also did one in the in the 777 and, and then um, we did one in the 737 and all in prepared. And those are they're fairly clunky um they're not that fun to work with they're sort of uninteresting visually and they're very kludgy um and so we Whoa. decided what, what was that word Cl kludgy? Cl kludgy yeah kludgy okay um, sorry 
Yeah, it, I, I don't know if, if if it means what it, what I think it means, but it kind of sounds like it means what I think it means. Yeah, so I'm with you. <laughs> um, but um, you know, we decided as we started to work on it in the Microsoft Flight Simulator version, we just kind of hit a point of exasperation because we don't even like the darn thing. It's it's a it's a relic from the mid '90s that is unimaginative and boring. So kind of late in the game, um, we decided, you know what, we're not doing this. And we just tore it out of the airplane um, and decided to start over with a clean sheet. And we decided, okay, let's go with a, you know, something that's a little bit more like what, you know, what I use in the flight deck of, of you know, the airplane that I'm flying. You know, I've got, I've got an iPad with ForeFlight, which is probably the most magnificent um, uh, flying. Yeah, uh, I like ForeFlight. Yeah, I absolutely love it, and and it's um, you know, it its ability to do just about everything is magnificent. Now we're not gonna, you know, because for intellectual property patent and you know um, other whole bunch of other reasons, we're not gonna you know create a four flight facsimile. But within the simulation community, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there, and and you know our friends over at Navigraph have a magnificent suite of products all related to the charting capabilities that we use in the real world. And they've got a wonderful partnership with Jeppesen. And so from where we sit, it makes much greater sense and it's far smarter and it's far better for everybody involved. If we lend our support behind that product um, and integrate that into our tablet so that it encourages others to use it as well. But then users who want that capability can, you know, they can plug in their credentials for, for Navigraph and, and off they go. And, um, and you know, likewise, uh, you know, uh, Aerosoft has a similar um, product. And I, I foresee that we'll get that in there as well so that users will have, you know, some choice. But what we see the tablet doing is giving us an internal operating system within our products so that non-PMDG developers can create tools that can then be inserted into our product and used within the environment of the tablet, almost as if it's a unique operating system. Um, and so that's kind of the direction we're taking it. And and while we're still a ways from, from you know, opening it up quite this far, what we envision is that, um, you know, that some enterprising and, and highly creative developer um, and I'm, uh, you know, I've got, there's a couple of people I'm thinking of specifically when I say that, will come up with a tool that's really useful for PMDG 737 pilots or, you know, 747 pilots or mm -hmm. something like that. And they will come to us and we'll, you know, help them integrate it so that it becomes, you know, an icon in our tablet. And then their customers will be able to use that interface directly from within the, um, from within the PMDG airplane without having to have a, you know, another pop-up window or something like that. So instead it will live right in that tablet, just like, um, you know, like what we do in the real world. So, yeah. uh, you know, I've got, I've got a, a weight and balance program that I use for my, uh, for my corporate flying um, that's um, done by... Um, a company known as Aircraft Performance Group, which is kind of a boring name, um, but their app is uh, iPreflight Genesis, and it does a ton of stuff, and it does all the performance computations and second, third, fourth, and you know, stage climb computations and you know, power settings and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we use that, and then we go into ForeFlight, and we you know, do the, all the flight planning in ForeFlight, and um, 
you know, so the, the PMDG universal flight tablet will function similarly to that. And it will sort of be like you've carried your own personal tablet from your 737 to your 747. When you get into it, you'll have the same, same icons, same layout, um, same set of features, and off you go. Nice. You could also put in-flight entertainment on that too. And don't you? think it hasn't crossed my mind. Yeah, um, you could, there's this radio it, station, you know, it's been around for, I don't know, over 15 years. And, yeah, uh, I you know I know the guy that runs it. So um, oh, so do? when we hit that point, yeah, I'm going to reach out to him and see if he if he's interested in hooking it up. So we'll nice see. score. <laughs> Fine. If I can't get a 757, I got uh, in flight entertainment. That's great. There you go. But uh, seriously, how do you guys decide? Uh, I, I can't remember if we talked about this before, but how do you decide what what aircraft you're going to do next? So when you when you're done with the triple seven, you do the max. You'll do the seven four, and then what um that is you know there's no real science to it um i tell you i can't wait to do something new um just by virtue of the way the simulation market has worked we seem to get through all you know our three major core products the seven three the triple and the seven four about once every generation of sim platform and then it's like you know we move to the next generation platform and our customers are like you know please bring this forward i you know i love this airplane and i want to use it and, and we do i am really hoping um that that Jorg and his team will will keep microsoft flight simulator as a um as a universal platform that they build up so that we don't get you know two years down the road and then have to reinvent everything for you know microsoft flight simulator 2.0 or whatever they decide to call it. Yeah. Um, I would really like to get through our entire product catalog because I, you know, I, we've got such wonderful products and they are so, they're so mature in their ability to simulate the, just the true nitty gritty depths of their individual airplanes. I really think that they just, each of our products deserves to be in Microsoft flight simulator so that it, it looks and, and flies and sounds as magnificently as, um, as it possibly can on modern hardware, but gosh, I can't wait to do something new. Um, and you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of science to it. I mean, the, the team, we sit around and we'll bounce ideas around until we find something that excites us. Um, and like the 757, for example. Um, yeah, for example, um, okay. you know, and there's a bunch of us on the, on the team that really like the seven five. Um, that being said, you know, financial considerations do come into it. I, I mean, you know, uh, there are people out there in the world that like to, you know, proclaim that, you know, PMDG should be a charity. Um, we're not. We're a for-profit company. I mean, I, you know, I, I run the organization and I have a fiduciary responsibility toward profit maximization. And, um, you know, I I would love if, if, if I didn't have to consider the fact that, um, you know, members of the team tend to show up for work in a better mood and happier if they actually can afford to eat and pay their mortgages. If I didn't have to consider that, um, I would love to do a 727. I would love to oh, do a 727. yeah. I didn't think about um, that. And, you know, I would love to do a DC-10. And, you know, and all of us on the team, we we talk about that all the time. And, you know, we'll be sitting around. Most of our conversations are via, are via you know, uh, chat messaging. And, um, you know, one of the guys will find a really cool picture of a you know of a dc-10 landing in a snowstorm you know in in tokyo or something and all of us will drool over it for a while and then um 
you know, a week later, I'll be, because I've got a three engine fetish, I, I will, you know, find a picture of a seven two, um, and I'll, you know, throw that up there. And, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was grumpy about something or other. And, and Paul threw a, a photograph of looking down the Delta line at, at, um, uh, at, at Hartsfield, probably in like 1987 or so. And it was nothing but seven two sevens and L 10 11s as far as the eye could see. And then down at the very end, there was one DC eight, um, I would love to be able to do the, that era of airplane. The reality is, financially, um, I don't. I don't know that there. That's necessarily a, a viable solution, um, and I don't know that it necessarily is a smart solution uh, for for us. So, um, you know, airplanes that I think are interesting may not be interesting to the community. Um, you know, there's. You know, part of me would love to just get a you know wild go on a wild tear and do a, you know, a Falcon 8X. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, that would probably be a two and a half to three year project. That is a highly, highly, highly data-driven airplane and data-driven airplanes are hard. Um, the other thing is we've got this massive library of Boeing logic for, you know, Boeing is not a very imaginative company. Their airplanes tend to function, you know, the, a, you know, a, a generator control breaker um, on a 777 functions largely the same on the triple as it does on the seven four as it does on the seven five as it does on the, you know so so there's some economy of scale in us sticking to you know a core logic of what we're good at um the uh you know so there's some of that in there too um, i really don't know what the new airplane will be when we finally get caught up with our product catalog in in microsoft flight simulator i've i have some ideas um and we we talk about them but I, I, I don't want to go so far as to say that they are serious ideas at, at this point. But um, you know, but I left to my own devices. I'd like to do a seven two, and you'll know I I hit the lottery if I um, if we do a seven twenty seven as our next project. You'll know I hit the lottery, and I no longer care. Yeah. Um, so you know, that's 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 how you'll know. The uh, the seven twenty seven, uh, and I think we talked about one of the first times you came on uh, air with us was. Uh, when I worked for United uh, on the ramp, throwing the uh, the late night fish uh, in the in the pit on the way to Salt Lake City for the night, and uh, it's starting to you know thaw out, and I'm like, I'll never I'll never forget that, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I did I tell you my story about the deer? No, I don't. No, I don't think you did. We, uh, I worked the ramp uh, for United Airlines in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, and you know back in the late 80s early 90s and we used to get a 7-2 in from chicago it was united 212 um funny wow. i can't remember where i put my keys but i can remember that yeah um, it's weird how you remember that stuff yeah um and uh, i actually was sort of astounding my co-pilot the other day we were coming back into dc and and there was a couple of united flights in the in the on the arrival ahead of us you know and i was just you know you'd hear a flight number and I'd, I'd rattle off where it was coming from. And he just looked at me and he was like, he's like, you, you really have a strange, strange personality. Um, but, um, <laughs> the, um, uh, but we had this seven, two come in and the, you know, that forward nesting system, you know, pit three and the seven, two yep. uh, in the 200 that would, you know, sort of telescoping and you had the little switch over your head. Right. Yep. That's exactly um, right. And, uh, there was a, a young woman that, that we worked with who was just, she was a spitfire, um, just as cute as a button, tiny little thing, and she could outwork five men. Um, and she was up there in the pit, and all of a sudden, she turned completely white and flopped over. 
Um, and, you know, we turned the belt loader off and went scrambling up there to find out what was wrong. And, and she was unloading a rifle case and then looked down and found herself completely covered in blood from the midsection of her abdomen down. Um, and just sort of assumed that she had taken a fatal shot and that was it, you know? Um, and it turns out what had happened was that in the nesting system, there was, there were a couple of coolers full of deer meat coming oh, back from like man. Alaska or someplace. I don't know. And, and of course they had, um, tipped over on their sides and they weren't sealed all that well. And there was blood everywhere. And of course she was sitting in it and didn't realize it. Um, and, uh, we thought it was rather funny. I, I don't think she necessarily agreed with our assessment of the circumstances, but, um, it was, uh, it was a whole, an unholy mess to have to clean up, but, oh, uh, it was, man. and, and, the the poor fellow working down in baggage claim, trying to explain to people why there was blood all over their yeah, baggage. That's what I was just yeah. thinking. <laughs> <laughs> bag comes out on the belt and it's all <laughs> yeah anyway that's um, funny yeah I, uh, oh, the good old days. my father uh retired from united and my my brother still actually works for united for uh, almost 40 years now i think and i remember the dc-10s uh growing up and and stuff like that and i really like those aircraft um and it was sad that they had to be retired but uh you know whatever the i grew up as a kid traveling on united uh, my parents were in a, you know and they were in no way related to the airline business but used to travel a fair amount and i'd get to go with them and you know to me the you know where you were going was irrelevant it was the it was the the flight that was the important part yeah, exactly um oh i used to love the dc-10s i thought they were just the coolest thing and they had such a magnificent sound at takeoff power um and uh you know it's it's a shame there's nowhere you can go to to get a ride on one anymore um you know because they just were just really cool machines, uh, and I, I would I would love for PMDG to be able to do one. Um, but um, you know, that's uh, you know, all I need is like you know, twelve days in a week and sixty hours in a day, and you know, that's sure coming. we can do all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, and I'd, I'd also have to have the whole team working for free, and I'd need a team twice as big. But you, you know, that that's um, coming, you know, right? Yeah, of course. Twelve days a week. That's supposed to start <laughs> yeah. next week, I think. Hey, yeah, uh, something like that. Well, you know. Um, you know, I harp on you a lot about the 757, and and for me, uh, you know, experiencing that aircraft uh, as a rampy, uh, it's a great airplane to load and stuff like that. And um, we were talking about other aircraft that you guys uh, might consider in the future. Have you thought about um, pulling the customer base, you know, and and saying, you know, maybe about email or whatever? What what do you guys think? And and that's actually a question comes from. Uh, Derek out there on the East coast here of the United States. You know, we, we have, um, and I, as a matter of fact, you know, I sit around sometimes on Saturdays and I get bored. Um, and I was going to throw a poll in the forum and then I, then I got smart and I realized that if I throw that poll in the forum and we are as far away as we are from actually making that decision, all I was going to do was make my own life hell. So I decided you know, I'm just going to sit on my hands for a little bit. Um, but, you know, that, that, that may well happen. I, I think it would be interesting to see, um, you know, of course, there's there's always limitations in the dynamic. You know, if we put it in there, you know, you'll get you'll get your, you know, oh, you know, make an A350. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I've flown a, an A350 sim and it's a cool airplane. Um, you know, would love to do it, but we don't have any Airbus systems simulated. Um, you know, the um, by the same token, um you know that the the the, uh, uh, the uh, A220. Um, I still struggle to refer to that as an Airbus. I think I'm just slow, but um, 
the uh, you know the industry joke is that it's called a cannabis because um, it's you know a Canadian <laughs> bus and, and and they had to have been smoking cannabis when they designed it. Right. Um, but uh, you know that would be a cool one to do as well. I've, I've got a bunch of buddies flying those, and um, you know it's 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 hard to say. Yeah, there's there's so many. It's it's not just a matter of like oh let's go do this. There's a whole lot of of um, there's a whole lot of business metrics that go into it, and um, you know, and I think because simming has always been sort of a niche hobby, it's easy for people to forget that we are running a business, and that we do have to make decisions that that are smart for the company's longevity. Um, you know, people asked us for many, many years to to redo the L, the um, uh, the MD11, and you know, if you pull the PMDG team, the guys who have been around a long time will tell you that one of the coolest airplanes we've ever done was the MD11 because it was so different from the Boeing's that we did. But I mean, the the our 737 for Microsoft Flight Simulator outsold nine years of MD-11 sales in less than 30 minutes. Wow. Um, it just didn't sell. Um, and, you know, it. and there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, it, it popped in to reality at a difficult time in simming. Um, you know, the, the 2007 to 2010 period is really, I view as sort of the historic low point in the popularity of simming. Um, and we dropped a, you know, we dropped a massive project, right? Dead smack in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, if it had been anything else, you know, anything else might've performed poorly too, but this was particularly bad. Um, and, you know, the, the folks that love it um, really love it. And they, you know, really, you know, yelled at me a lot in our forum, um, you know, telling me that I was making a mistake in doing it. But, you know, I, hey, I got the, I got the, the cost curves and I've got the margins and I've got the spreadsheets and, you know, and I've, and, and I'm responsible for the bottom line. And while me personally as a developer thought it was fun, you know, would be more fun to do an MD-11, you know, me as a business person um, looks at that and says, yeah, that's just, that's not the right decision for PMDG right now um and so uh you know so we've got you know we, we got our our plates full um and i don't know what we'll do next but uh it'll be an exciting journey i can tell you that much uh, you know whatever we do it'll be fun yeah well uh, like i said before i'm pretty happy with with what you guys have done so far so thank you for that and uh, i appreciate the the constant uh support that that uh we get for you guys because like you said before, when we're talking about pre uh, prepared, is that you know you're not forgetting about those guys because you're still supporting a product, and uh, so that that's that's really good to hear. Yeah, what yeah. About, I mean, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go the, ahead. The the prepared platform. You know, I talk about that down period in in simming as a hobby. That down period was ended by prepared. Um, you know, the the advent of prepared in the marketplace caused a resurgence in simming that i think allowed the hobby and the market to survive long enough for you know jord newman to to have this crazy idea that he was going to build this platform that he built um and you know i take take that away i, I i'm not sure the market survives and thrives as it has um and uh, you know all your your explain listeners are currently sending you hate mail, JT. But um, <laughs> the um, you know I, I just I don't know that 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 PMDG continues on 
without the advent of prepared. So, you know, we're very fond of the platform. It, it, um, you know, it, it certainly has its place in the, in the, you know, the, uh, the history of simming and it certainly has its place in our product catalog. And, you know, we're not eager to, to go walking away from it, but, um, you know, we'll continue to support and grow those products that we've already got, but I, I just don't know, um, if we'll build anything new. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, like you said before, it's uh it's a business and if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. So, yeah. Uh, what about Flight Sim Expo? I know that uh, you went to the very first one because we interviewed you. Um, but the next one is uh, June of next year yeah. in uh, Houston, the Lone Star Flight Museum. I've I've never been there. I'm not sure if you have, but uh, any thought about going out there, maybe having a booth or something like that? Um, I don't know that we'll have a booth. Um and the and the reason for that is well, okay, let me let's talk good news first. Um so uh um the um I do anticipate that PMDG will attend. Uh I was talking with Evan about it when they were still trying to decide whether they were gonna do a show in twenty one. Um Sorry, I'm, I'm mixing my dates up. They were trying to decide if they were going to do a show in, in, right? yeah, in 22. They were trying to decide oh, if they were okay, going to do yeah, one right. last summer, um, and they decided that they were going to they were going to just kind of they were going to skip a year and you know just to sort of let all the COVID drama and all the other crap fall behind. And you know there were other considerations they were making, and um, and so Evan and I were talking, and and I couldn't commit to one in close. And he said, you know, what if we did one in in uh, June of 23. And I was like, well, you know, that's, Hey, that's not on my calendar yet. Sure. I can commit to that. Um, so, so we did. Um, so I, you know, I do expect that we will be there in some form or other. Um, as for whether PMDG would have a booth, this is where, you know, Evan and I have, have hilarious conversations about this. Um, I am, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I almost said I'm antisocial. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I um I am actually a very private person and I don't like standing around um uh in a booth sort of you know like a <laughs> I don't like being cornered in a booth um yeah. and we've we've done that before it's something that I just I don't enjoy it you know we used to take the DC3 to air shows and you know we had a crew of 8 and I would vanish um I would go you know hide in some obscure corner someplace and watch and i you know i loved to watch the you know how the crew would interact with people and see how people reacted to you know this this magnificent airplane that we had restored but i i always felt a little uncomfortable when people would you know come up and, and want to talk to me about it um you know i, I i'm you know you and i can sit here and talk for hours this is yeah, very different yeah. um but um i i tend not to enjoy sitting in a booth um as a presenter, you know, sort of standing there, uh, you know, doing things. So I would much rather be able to walk, uh, you know, walk around and, and talk with individuals and, and, um, you know, introduce myself to other vendors and have conversations where I'm not encumbered by a booth. And when we did flights and expo in, in 18, um, you know, I, I, my, my wife had had, she had, had, uh, crushed her foot and, and, and had her entire foot reconstructed two days before 
that show. So I, I did the honorable wow. thing and, and brought her mother in town and ditched her <laughs> with her mother and then hopped on the airplane with all my buddies and went to Vegas. Um, I remember you saying it, that uh, she wasn't it, yeah. feeling well. You had to leave the next day or something like that. I can't remember yeah. That. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the way she tells it is, you know, she had this horrific accident and I, I went to Vegas with all my friends. Yeah. So um, the way I tell it is uh, that she had this horrible accident and I hopped in the airplane and went to Vegas with all my friends, but I left her mother here to take care of her. So it wasn't all that bad. Um, but um, the, uh, you know, I actually really enjoyed being at that show because I had the freedom to, to walk around um, and to, to talk to people. And, um, and I just, I found that to be, to, I found that to be more beneficial um, to us than, uh, than otherwise. And, there's, you know, and Evan disagrees with me violently, and, and Evan has a really valid point that, you know, having PMDG come in as an anchor would really help them um, to draw an audience, and I'm and I'm sympathetic to that. Um, it's it's just it's very hard for us to do. Um, you know, we are structured very differently than many other companies. Um, uh, you know, our team is quite literally scattered all over the all over the globe. It's very hard for us to commit to something like that because we don't generally know if various members of the team will be able to, um, you know, or frankly want to uh, travel to a, you know, a convention like that. So, um, so it's, it's, it's hard for me to, yeah, it's hard for me to commit. And I, and I don't like to commit to things that I, that I don't plan on following through on, but, but I did commit to Evan that we will be there. So we will be there. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking actually that we'll have something to show uh, when when we're there. So we'll we'll see. Um, but like the, um, 757 or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, it should be it should have been out long before then. I mean, it, it's coming out next week, right? So okay, okay. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give that a break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least for a, the next show. <laughs> we should take a bet as to how long it takes someone to get upset that the 757 didn't release next week because yeah. you know it's gonna happen, right? Right. Exactly. Robert said so. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a guy in your in your forum. Um, I can't. His name's not on there, but that's okay. Um, he was talking about some newer 737 flight deck features, and uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that stuff or not. But it's kind of interesting. It's talking about some pressurization panels, some digital uh, pressurization panel, and clocks and CDUs and stuff like that, and not that it's outdated or anything like that, but just uh, some different type of stuff. Have you looked at that and um, have you considered, you know, doing any of that? Uh, some of it, no, some of it, yes. Um, the, um, uh, the, you know, we've got two types of pressurization panels already offered. Um, the We've got the, the early one for the airplane. There's actually, I think there's three that are STC'd for the, for the type. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got two of the three. Um, I think the third one is fully analog and we have no intention of doing that one. Um, the, um, the, on the, on the face of it, ultimately they, they, you know, they function the same, they behave the same. They've just, you know, they've got different faces and slightly different controls and, and that's, you know, sort of what we would be working with. Um, you know, using that as an example, um, you know, if there's, you know, some fourth one that's new to the fleet or something that we haven't seen yet, um, you know, there's a, an evaluation that goes into that, that, you know, is this a significant enough change that it is going to 
drive value to the end user for the the time investment that we have to make uh, to to put it in there. And um, you know, I you've heard me say a couple of times that you know we have to pretend that PMDG is a for profit business. I literally can boil down, you know, hey, developer time costs this much per hour, and you know, I I go to Vin and I go to Henning and I you know and I go to to Alex or you know or me and say, okay, how long is this going to take? What's well, going to take this many hours? And I can compute out what it's going to cost to put that in there. And then I have to weigh that against um, other aspects. You know, so if customers were looking for, you know, one of the things that we get asked about a lot, um, and I'll probably get burned at the stake for bringing this up, but we'll do it anyway because it's fun. Um, one of the things we get asked about a lot is, are we going to offer a no winglet model on the 700 and the 800 and the 900? And to this point, the answer has been that we don't plan to. Um, but, you know, let's pretend for a minute that I've I've got X amount of of time available in the development budget and X amount of cost available, I can do one or the other. Now I have to decide which one's going to bring greater joy to the user community. And that's the one that gets the nod. So um, it's a very unexciting, really kind of boring um, decision-making process. Um, I get to do it. And the reason why I get to do it is because um, no matter what we decide to do, we'll be wrong. Um, And, so therefore, you know, we talk about it internally and then, um, you know, I, I go into my office and there's a puff of white smoke that comes out the chimney and I, you know, <laughs> announce which one we're going to do. Um, so there's, you know, there's other things. There's a, a, a newer software load on the FMS. We've been kind of chipping away at that slowly. Um, these things are a lot more complicated than simply changing some some functions around in a menu um you know we just went through this in the in the uh, the airplane that i'm flying we we did a software update um in the fmss and um you know maybe that was why we couldn't get the airplane linked up to the approach coming back here because we couldn't find anything in the in the menus anymore um but (laughs) the um and and for legal reasons he is Mm -hmm. joking um but um the uh, you know the going to uh, you know there's there's an FMS software load that you get if the airplane is, um, you know, is, is over water, uh, you know, CPDLC fans, 1A plus, you know, uh, um, you know, ATN qualified. And, you know, there, there's a whole lot that goes with that that would have to be coded as well. And so, you know, sometimes we look at that stuff and we just kind of say, well, you know, we're not really there yet with this. Um, sometimes what happens is, you know, the, 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 the CBDLC, you know, fans 1A plus ATN stuff, we have a very robust simulation of it, um, that is part and parcel of our global flight operations simulation. Um, and I am just absolutely desperate to get that into Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, and if we do that, that would trigger a large part of the uh, that modernization process for the FMS. So, um, you know, so a lot of these things tend to be related to other things, and you know, and they get they get greater or less value depending on what else you know goes on around it. Um, you know, so for example, there's a a um, a second set of there's another radio console in the 737 that that uh, if you know if you bought a later model NG it was what it came with and and um we have most of that done um because we feel that that's an important update because of its 
relevance to other aspects of the airplane that that um, that it supports. So you know we're we're about to add that option in, um, and I don't think. No, I don't think it's done yet, but I think it's, I literally, I think it's like days away from going to the testers for, um, for evaluation. So, um, you know, so there's things that, that will sort of filter in along the way on an as needed basis. And, and then there are things that get added because, you know, they support something else that we very much want to add. So even though it's kind of a nuisance to do it, we'll do it because it needs to be there. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, the, the, the thing about the 737, um, the 737, they are there's a zillion of them for starters and with that there's a half a zillion operators and with that there's a quarter zillion different flight deck layouts so we frequently hear from users like hey i've got a photograph of this particular airplane could you make the layout match this and there's just no possibility that we can possibly there's just no reasonability to to us matching the layout of every single airplane we've we've got hundreds of potential options in there already and users can go into the options menu and change the hardware you know that that's in the airplane and that sort of thing but you know when it comes to actually you know moving the radios from you know position you know 2L to 3L or you know moving it to you know to, to 3C or you know on the pedestal that sort of stuff just it gets to be a bit much um and so would we rather spend you know to put five developers on something like that for four months or have those five developers working on the triple seven for four months yeah as the head of the company i want them working on the triple seven yeah and i'm um, with you uh, i love the triple seven too uh, and and it, I, some people and i'm not saying that this listener is is saying that but it um there's a big picture to everything and uh Sometimes we get kind of tunnel vision, so that that's cool that that you take all that stuff into consideration. And I'm glad you mentioned global flight sim ops because uh, we're going to talk about that right after the station ID. Sky Blue Radio would like to know: Has your ship there supply? Thirty minutes before ship re-expansion. Oh, just enough time to obliterate all those little potential usurpers. Engine status? Nominal. Fuel supply? Full. Air supply? Very well. Roll the lips over the guns, look out testicles, here I come! Sky Blue Radio, keeping you pressurized. It is uh, about 20 after. JT here, Sky Blue Radio sounds great at any altitude. We're talking with... Uh, my good friend Robert Randazzo from PMDG. Check them out, pmdg.com, an incredible company that's been around since 19, what, 97, I think it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we turned 25 last month. <clears throat> Congratulations. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. Yeah. But, you know, we talked about this last time, and I think we did the time before. Uh, you know, we have some new listeners and stuff like that. So if you don't mind, could you tell us, where you came up with the name PMDG or Precision, I think Precision Manuals Development Group. Yeah, yeah. So I did not come up with the name PMDG. Um, our our customers did, uh, and you know we have since adopted it. Like you know, like most of the good ideas that that we've adopted, they came from our customers. So um, the original inception, I was um, uh, I I had purchased. Uh, Hardy Heinlein's uh, 747 PS1 and it showed up in the mail and I, you know, immediately, you know, canceled all of my plans and, and sat down at the computer and tried to figure out how to make it work and discovered I didn't know how to even start the engines. So, um, 
Enjoy it, the flight. It, yeah. To, to make a long story short, you know, I worked for an airline that operated um, a, a huge fleet of them, and so I had access to a lot of resources. And decided, as I was participating in the in the community that sprang up around that platform, that I could take some of that information, some of the knowledge, and some of the learning that I was getting um, through my airline's training center to put together a, you know, a guide that would help others overcome the, the hurdle. So, um, so I did that and, and it took a couple of months to write and um, which at the time seemed like a ridiculously long thing to, you know, long time to, to develop a product. Oh, how little I knew. Um, but I uh, published this guide and I, figured, well, this is kind of cool. You know, I was trying to pay off some of my flight ratings and, you know, I needed X amount of money. So I thought, well, you know, if I can, if I can sell, you know, I literally, to fit, I, I had, you know, a certain number of people who had said they wanted to order one. So I knew I needed X value of money. So I divided the X value of money by the number of people. And that's how I decided what the price was going to be. Cause you know, that would work Yeah, completely forgot about, you know, taxes and shipping and all the other stuff. So um, lucky for me, it turned out to be far more popular than that, and it and it kind of took off. And so, the company name, uh, you know, is Precision Simulator was was Hardy's name. And so, um, I kind of glommed onto that, rightly or wrongly. Um, you know, new new business owners tend not to be very imaginative, and so I I called it Precision Manuals Development Group, um, and I tagged the word group on there so that nobody would know it wasn't just me um, sitting on the floor of my kitchen um, with you know my then girlfriend who. Um, was not all that thrilled at the fact that we were building binders. Um, but <laughs> the, um, you know, so that was where the company name came from. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I decided to get into trying to develop a product. And um, uh, right about the time I was starting to think seriously about developing something for Microsoft Flight Simulator, I w had a reach out from a fellow by the name of Mark Harrington, who um, who was uh, sort you know employee number two at PMDG, um, and you know Mark was building a model and and you know was interested in trying to partner with someone to turn it into an airplane and then um, uh, and then you know Vin Simone who is uh, still with us uh, you know all these years later um, you know then I cool. heard from him and uh, you know so um, it sort of then kind of came along organically and we. We created a product uh, for uh, for Fly, which was created by Terminal Reality, and um, I think it was Terminal Reality. Now, when I'm saying it out loud, it doesn't sound right to me. So if I'm if I'm wrong, I'm I'm wrong. But but the product name was Fly, um, and so I do remember? Yeah, um, yeah. So we went through that, and and, and that on the market, um, people started to refer to us as PMDG. And so we, after a while, had abandoned entirely the, you know, making, you know, manuals as our primary source of, of work, and we were focused on software. So we started referring to ourselves as PMDG, and then eventually, um, you know, we went through, you know, we had grown enough that we had lawyers involved in a bunch of other garbage, and, and um, we needed to set up a licensing arm to manage the licensing and provide uh, liability protection and a bunch of other legalese. And so that became PMDG Simulations, which is the company that, that most users interface with. Um, so, and PMDG Simulations is, you know, part of a, a larger organization of a bunch of little entities that have PMDG as their leading, um, as their leading letters. 
but we actually retired the name Precision Manuals Development Group. You know, we still own the trademark to it, but we don't use it. Um, so we have become PMDG, and that's what people know us as. Nice. Nice. So you said earlier you were going to do some flying tonight. Uh, have you done any more thought about that, where you might go or anything like that? Uh, you know, I have been – lately I've been tinkering with um, – some of the arrivals into Southern California. Um, I've been having some fun there. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not sure people know, but I am not a 737 guy. I'm lucky I can find one on a ramp. Um, and I struggle to fly the airplane, uh, which probably surprises people. I code the system so I know how it operates mechanically. Its flight management system is a complete freaking mystery to me. Um, you know, I, I'm type rated on the 747, which is a big Boeing, which is a different logic entirely. Um, yeah, I've referred to the 73 as the bastard stepchild of the Boeing fleet, and it really, really is from a logical standpoint. There's a lot of stuff in that FMS that it does really well that the big Boeings don't do. But, it, you know, it's, you know, like anything, if you're used to doing something one way and you try to do it that way on one that doesn't do it that way, you get all messed up. So... I tend to get kind of annoyed with the 7.3 when I fly it. Um, and last week, I had a had a free weekend, which nice. doesn't happen in as long as I can remember. And I did seven segments with the 7.3, just sort of bouncing up and down the West Coast of the United States. And um, and I got this airplane so jammed up on the Disney 5 arrival into Orange County. Um, and I had just flown that though, you know, earlier in the week. And, and it's, a wonder, it's a, one of my favorite arrivals in the world because you – you know, you kind of have to do some of that um, that pilot stuff. Um, you know, it's a it is a complicated arrival with a lot of you know aboves and a lot of belows and a lot of speeds and a lot of gates. And you know, ATC just expects you to be there. And I and I love those sorts of arrivals because you know that's the that's what you get into flying for is to fly the airplane and not to sit and watch the automatics do it all. Yeah. But um, so I decided, well, it'll be fun. I'll take the seven three into into Orange County, and I plugged it into the the Disney five and, and all hell broke loose because um, the dumb guy flying the airplane had completely botched uh, getting it properly set up. So, um, you know, some of our customers have wondered why I don't do tutorials for the seven three. Well, because you That's wouldn't why. learn anything from me. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we, we've got a wonderful beta tester, um, uh, Emmy, who does uh, some, uh, oh gosh, and now I'm doing him a complete disservice by forgetting that his his YouTube channel name. Um, but uh, Emmy does a, just a wonderful set of tutorials, and he is um, he's got a tremendous amount of experience, uh, you know, flying the seven three. He does a wonderful job of explaining to people the sort of the depth of using it, um, and you know, and I'm particularly fond of him because he does a great job of showing people just how complicated our just how complex our simulation of this airplane is and just how deep the simulation value goes. Um, and so um, so if you're looking for tutorials, go to him. Yeah, you, you aren't going to learn anything from me on flying this airplane. So, um, but uh, yeah, anyway, so yeah, I'll probably go into Orange County again, see if I can't make it work right this time. Um, and, you know, but no, I'm not going to do it on VATSIM because I don't need to hear the tone um, that I hear in the real world when I goof it up. So, yeah. <laughs> and I... And I don't want a bunch of simmers, you know, I don't want to wind up on someone's YouTube feed of, you know, look, here's Randazzo completely screwing up the airspace because, yeah. you know, that's going to happen. Look for that um, PMD number one. It's the, the guy. Hey, yeah, I'd have to go over the <laughs> fake flight number, you know, like, you know, like, if I don't you know. Maybe alone you do, that's for sure. 
Yeah, maybe I'll call over to Phoenix and see if they let me go as like Phoenix Nine or something. If that yeah. would upset them. Um, anyway, but um, the um, yeah, I, you know, I've got um, uh, you know one of the things that I you know there, there's you know it's it's always about how much time do you have on you know how much free time do you have and and um, I I I harbor this fantasy that one day I will. Um, I'll get my buddy Aaron to come over and, and, you know, he's, he's done a ton of stuff with Vatsim and, and, you know, I think, I think secretly inside, he sort of laughs at the fact that I'm terrified of it, but, um, you know, it might be fun to have him come over and show me how the whole Vatsim thing works and, and actually try it out. But, um, but I'd have to come up with a fake username or something so I can do it with with, and be able to walk away from it without damage. Yeah. (laughs) I remember uh, some of the, uh, the uh, founders on Vatsim, they would, you know, they would fly with their, their VATSIM call sign or whatever, but they would put in their flight plan in the notes. They would say, you know, hey, uh, just let me enjoy my flight. And so people would leave them alone while they, you know, while they flew. So. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I actually did play around with VATSIM. Um, this will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date myself here. I want to say it was back in like 1997. And... I was, I, it was like a, at that point in my life, I was, I was in management at the airline and I was traveling just a, a zillion miles a year. And I had this rare kind of couple days at home and somebody had made a model of a 747 SP and I found it in United Colors um, and thought it was just the coolest thing ever. And I was, I flew it from San Fran to Denver on VATSIM and, um, the controller vectored me into a mountain. Um, and that kind of ruined the whole thing for me. And I, and I never went back. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was just like, uh, you know, and, and it has changed so much since then. Um, and it's so complicated now uh, that, you know, I think there's, there's there's a whole lot of people out there that have done it for so long that they're just like, yeah, you know, it's it's cool. It's what you do. And, and you know, likewise, if I were to drag your average simmer out to the, the airport, stick him in the co-pilot seat and say, okay, you know, get me my you know, get me my DCL clearance and, uh, you know, check in with a ground controller and get, you know, get us to a runway, you know, they'd probably freeze. Like, you know, what are you crazy? Um, and that's kind of how I feel on, on VATSIM. So yeah, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. Yeah, I would, but I would love to do it. I just don't, I'm not brave enough to take the step off the, you know, off the ledge and, and do it. It would be, I think it would be a ton of fun. I would love to do it because I, I go through little binges, um, Every year, usually in in March, right before the weather gets nice, I will go and um, do a a series of flights from someplace in Europe. I'll fly all the way out around the backside of the Pacific Rim, um, up the West Coast, back down across the Pacific Rim, you know, over uh, Africa and, and back to Europe. And I'll take like, you know, two weeks and I'll do a flight like every other day or so. And and. Um, and it would be fun to do that on VATSIM. I, I just, I've never been brave enough to do it. And then, you know, every year right around Christmas, I do, and I've done this for almost, gosh, almost 20 years now. Every year right around Christmas, I'll do an around the world flight from, I'll you know start out at, at, you know, at Dulles because I live in the, in the DC area. Um, and I'll just start off and I'll go eastbound and I'll just keep going around the marble till I get home again. And, and it usually takes me from Christmas through, you know, a couple of days after New Year. And 
traditionally that's when I buy all my scenery, um, you know, cause I'll figure out where I'm going to go and then I go and figure out, okay, you know, I'm going to, you know, what scenery do I need and that sort of stuff. So those are the two sort of flying cycles I go through during the year. And then the rest of the time, I'm just so darn busy with development. I don't quite get to it, but um, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe I can talk Aaron into coming over and teaching me how not to make a fool out of myself on, on VATSIM. Yeah. But, I don't uh, think you do that. No, you underestimate me. <laughs> so, uh, uh, two things. I haven't some having a microphone problem here. Okay, so uh, I was going to ask you about global flight sim ops. Yeah, where are we on that, and is it is it possible for it to be used in uh, Microsoft Flight Sim yet, or no? Well, we can't um, use it at all, right? It's it's not it's it's not available for people to use it. I don't think, right? No, not yet. We've we've got a we have a private beta team um, that's actually a little bit different than our than our airplane beta team. It's a whole different group of people, and it's people that we we cherry picked out of our forum. Um, just you know, folks we've interacted with that we that we know to be active enough in simming that they would give it a good workout, and um, they've been using it, continue to use it. Um, but uh, so global, it's it's uh, it's called PMDG Global Flight Operations. And it is a um, it is a simulation that stands somewhere between uh, no ATC and you know you're just sort of like simming by yourself without any data input from the outside world and VATSIM. Um, and so what it's really geared toward is people like me that are afraid. Of, to get on VATSIM for making a fool of themselves or that just, you know, don't want to get on VATSIM, but that want some depth of simulation of all of the activity that goes on in support of getting an airliner from point A to point B. So, you know, for example, if you were going to fly a 777 from, uh, you know, from Dulles to London, there's, there's a whole bunch of company communications that take across, that take place across um, the APHIS uh, system and there's a whole bunch of ATC communications that take place across the uh, the fans and ATN system and what we have built is a a simulation of that so that if I take off in my um, well because it's me we'll make it a 74 so you know I take off out of Dulles in my 74 um, I you know I get my clearance through um, through DCL uh, through which is a CPDLC function uh, which is the controller pilot data link uh, for for those that are wondering about the alphabet soup. Yeah. Um, you know I I can get the um, uh, I can get my my entire flight plan electronically push to load it right into the FMS and and that comes through um, a linkage we have that we've had going now for gosh I think four years or so um, with Simbrief. And I get, uh, you know, I get a, I get a weight package, I get a weather package, I get, you know, a, all of the information that I would normally get, and I get it when it's realistic to get it. So, um, you know, for example, um, you know, if I get an, uh, get a, you know, and, and so it sort of forces you to, to, to work with real world challenges, such as you're getting close into your departure runway and you still don't have your weights yet. Um, you know, that's a sort of a common thing at large hub airports. And so, um, so you get to work with those challenges a little bit and, um, you know, you take off and then you, you need to get your oceanic clearance and you get that through CPDLC and you can, once you get into the oceanic environment, you, or, you know, when you get your, your oceanic clearance, it's a push to load thing. 
Um, then when you're in the oceanic environment, you're using CPDLC to you know, request deviations, higher, lower, you know, that sort of stuff. And, and all of it functions in a, um, you know, I wouldn't call it um, artificial intelligence, but there is a, a simulation there that um, takes a look at the, the traffic space around you before it makes decisions about whether it's going to let you do things that, that you want to do. That's cool. And then, you know, you, you reach top of descent and you're, you're, you're talking to company through your APHIS network and you're getting information back from the company and um, you get the airplane and you land it and you park it at the gate. And then that airplane actually stays there um, in that configuration and in that condition. And then, um, you know, JT, you could come along and, and, and hop into the same airplane and you're going to find, you know, if I, you know, left, you know, this switch in the wrong position, when you get it, it, that switch is still going to be in the wrong position and it'll be at the same gate with the remaining fuel load and that sort of stuff. And then you'll pick up your flight and go on to, you know, wherever. Um, and, you know, we've got a, a layer in there for specifically for virtual airlines so that they can have their own private fleets um, so that, you know, a, a non-member of their, um, you know, someone who's not a member of their, uh, of their club can't come and move their airplanes around on them and, um, so there's a, a whole bunch of that, and, and all of that was really far along with in prepared when Microsoft Flight Simulator um, landed, and we stuck with it for a while. Um, but we realized that there's challenges in making it work in Microsoft Flight Simulator because of some of the firewalls that uh, Sobo created to prevent products from going marauding around your your Windows operating system and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and that we needed to figure out and engineer ways to allow global flight operations to communicate with a PMDG airplane in Microsoft Flight Simulator and also communicate with the outside world. And those challenges have, we think we might have them beat finally. Cool. Um, and, and a lot of that work has been what's been driving the operating system in the uh, universal uh, flight tablet. So, you know, so... That's what I mean when I say that, well, you know, a lot of times the things we do, it depends on other stuff that's going on at the same time. The tablet really drove the technology on on communication between the airplane and the outside world because Asobo has tried very hard to lock that down. They allow um, non-C++ WASM airplanes to communicate with the outside world, but the C++ WASM ones are not allowed to. And I've asked repeatedly why that is. And I've, yeah, I've, I was just going to yeah, I, they. Um, I, I'm not sure if it was accidental. I, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm not sure if it was intentional. I think it might be accidental. Um, uh, and I think it's a matter of like they're getting around to it, and so they they're just kind of, you know, when I ask about it, I, they, you know, they they sort of, you know, they tell me like, hey, just you know, let us work. We'll get to it. So okay, great. They'll get to it. But in the meantime, yeah, um, right. you know, we we, uh, you know, we don't like to sit still. So we've kind of worked our way around some of those limitations, and we have not yet had a chance to to determine does this then unlock what we need to get Microsoft Flight Simulator users into global flight operations. Um, so then the next question that you're going to ask me is, well, G Rob, if if Microsoft Flight Simulator won't work with it yet, why don't you turn it on for prepared users? And um, the answer to that is that the operational cost of having the whole system running for prepared users at this point would far outstrip um, the revenue that would come in from uh, from having prepared users on the platform. So we're just kind of keeping our powder dry, um, and we are um, we are very much looking forward to being able to throw the doors open and welcome users in. 
um because it really it's such a cool thing and and i you know i love flying the 737 but you know i was telling some of the guys on the team the other day that you know i just i miss i miss the interaction that you get with global flight operations because it makes you feel like you're actually part of something and you know you move the airplane from a to b and the, and the airplane lives there and then someone else comes and takes your airplane and goes and flies it someplace and then you know you you pick up another airplane in the same location and fly it somewhere else and you know there's there's much more community interaction with it than without it um without it i sort of feel like i'm in my own little bubble and no one can hear me scream yeah um, so you know so that's that's kind of where we are with that but it it will come uh you know and i mean heck i went on stage in 2018 kind of against my better judgment um to talk about the program um and and it's so and it's almost laughable to say this now at the time I went on stage, I did not want to go on stage and talk about it because we were six to nine months out still. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, people think this stuff is easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a horrifically complicated project. And the team that's, you know, that's worked on it, um, you know, they, they, they've done a really, really good job. Um, and so, you know, it pains me that it's sort of in the freeze locker at this point. You know, we moved the development team off of that um, to the 7.3 to accelerate the 7.3, and that was a really smart decision, and it worked well. And then what, What re, you know, the the we had one guy working on some core stuff, um, and when he finished with this huge piece that he was building, we then moved him over, and he is applying those same lessons to the core of the tablet and it has caused the tablet to accelerate tremendously with some things that we didn't think it would have so well, that's good um, yeah so there's you know there's a ton of cool stuff go going on and, and i i i have learned the hard way to be a little bit cagier about what i say and when i say it because um you know i i don't i don't like it i don't like to hear people say oh you know they just you know they they it's always these promises and they never deliver stuff you know, the reality is we we talk about the things that we're working on um, and these things take time. And when we get them to the finish line, we get them to the finish line and then you right. guys get them. Um, and, you know, and, and that, and it's really no different, really no different here. So, um, but uh, you know, but our, our guys who are testing GFO, they, they love it. And they, and we hear the same thing from them that they, you know, they love Microsoft flight simulator and darn it. Why can't they have, you know, global flight ops in, in Microsoft flight simulator. So hopefully, yeah not too far around that'd be really cool I'd, I'd look forward to that that's for sure it's pretty cool and the nice thing about it is um i almost forgot the major selling point um the, the um uh if i got all the way through this without throwing this in there you know henning would be calling me up in the morning being like you idiot um <laughs> so that the major selling point for global flight ops is that it is what it, it's what we call um it's it is it's an androgynous expansion of your simulation meaning that it's not something you have to use in place of something else it's not designed to replace anything that's in the market currently um you could use it with vatsim you can use it with pilot edge you can use it you know on your own um you can use it with um um uh, Volanta, you can use it with you know any other tracking software you want to use. It's not designed to fill those niches. It's designed to work within them. Um, and while we're we're still a ways from this yet, one of the things that I mean when I say you can use it with Vatsim is that you know you could be doing a um, 
uh, you know, you can be doing a VATS in flight and using global flight operations and, you know, and, and have all the APHIS communications with your, on your company network because, you know, that's not ATC driven. Um, and likewise, where we would like to be um, is that we have a, we have a fairly robust um, back end to it that um, we envision will interface very nicely so that both VATSIM and, you know, Pilot Edge and, and Iveo, um, th that we would be able to give them a, uh, you know, a standardized document that says to communicate with airplanes that are using global flight operations so that your CPDLC, you know, fans 1A ATN communications yeah, can be cool you know, can be pulled into the FMS in the PMDG product, here's how you do it. And then, you know, they can connect right in. And so it won't be anything that, you know, that you, JT, would have to then go and set up just by virtue of the fact that you are on their network and they're connected to ours. Um, you know, you'd be able to, to, all that stuff that, you know, you'd, you'd get it right inside the actual menus, inside the actual airplane. And that is still a little ways off. So I, I don't want to make it sound like we got that working because we don't. Um, but the but the backbone is there. What we have not done yet is actually um, you know we, we've we've spoken with uh, with Pilot Edge a little bit, and then right about the time we were ready to to, to green light making that interface work with Pilot Edge, um, we decided to to pull the team and, and move them over to the seven three seven development. So it hasn't happened yet, but but that's that's what's planned the infrastructure is there to do it already we we now just have to connect it in so that it works with those other networks pilot edge is sorry about that i don't know what happened there pilot edge is a great group of uh, guys keith over there is you know he came from VATSIM, and uh, i've talked to him a lot of times and and he's a real good guy so uh i think yeah i've been over yes, there yes he is i i will i will back that up i have um what i what i have what I really like about him is he is um, he's unabashedly nerdy. Um, yeah, and I agree. All of us at, at PMDG are as well. So, um, you know, we're we get together and we're all kind of talking the same language. And, um, you know, he and I like to poke fun of the same people. Um, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I'm thinking of, of uh, you know, Fabio. Um, so we uh, you know, we Keith and I've had some some fun conversations. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, I've watched a ton of stuff about Pilot Edge, and and um, you know they, they there are, there's some videos that people have put together of our products. You know, I, every now and then I go scrolling around YouTube to you know look for um, you know sort of you know upcoming talent that you know might benefit from you know getting a, a free product from us, and um, I'll stumble into videos that people have put together, and and I honestly wonder to myself, you know, is this like an ATC recording overlaid on the video and then you, you get further in and you discover, no, it's, it's pilot edge. And I, I think that's pretty darn cool. Um, so, you know, it's uh, there's, there's a lot of neat stuff going on in simming. I mean, we really, for, you know, guys, our age, this is where we wanted to be 25 Ted, years ago. Yeah, I was going to say 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Pilot edge. You can check them out at pilotjed.net. Uh, great group of, of guys over there. And we're talking with Robert Rendazzo from PMDG. Make sure you check them out, pmdg.com. And, of course, I'm JT. I'm your host. Uh, so thankful that you guys, uh, or that you, Robert, were able to make it uh, with us tonight. Let's uh, do a quick station ID, and then I have a couple more questions uh, before we close it out. In the event of awesome cabin pressure or in an emergency, headphones will drop from the overhead compartment. While Sky Blue Radio keeps you entertained, all the way to the crash site. 
Hello, hello. All right. We are back. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, DJ Skip, uh, one of my guys listening here from Denver, Colorado. He says, Robert, um, what are your most challenging airports to fly into and your favorite one to fly into? Um, you know, gosh, that, that really is a broad ranging question. My current favorite really is Orange County, uh, California. I've, I've been in and out of there, uh, a bunch of times. Um, I like it because it's, it's busy and you gotta be on your game. Um, and the I approach like it is nice. it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's not easy. Um, and you know, there's there's some places that you know kind of separate the you know men from the boys. Wheat. Yeah, I didn't want to say that because I've already thrown a couple of things out that you're going to get yelled at for. So I was going to say to separate the wheat from the chaff. But since you <laughs> said the men from the boys, we'll let you know. We'll use your your okay. phrase. Thank you. Um, yeah, my daughter's going to yelling at me later. Um, so, <laughs> the, um, but um, <laughs> she is. Uh, my daughter is, uh, she's absolutely wonderful and she keeps me honest when I say things that, um, you know, maybe are, you know, older phrases that should be deleted from the lexicon. She's right there with a, you know, with a wagging finger. Um, but uh, no, I love Orange County. You know, the, the whole LA basin, a lot going into those airports is challenging and it's, um, you know, it's, it's not easy. You, you gotta be on your game. You gotta plan ahead. And when the controllers give you instructions, they, they give it to you. You know, it's fed to you out of a machine gun, and you better reply. Um, so, uh, but you know, I I have some incredibly fond memories of going into JFK uh, back in my airline days. The controllers at JFK are absolutely legendary for their sense of humor, which merges well with their lack of patience. Um, yeah, it's pretty and, funny and, if you've well, you know, you've listened to them all the time, but. That they're pretty funny up there. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and the, the we I had a cool moment with a JFK controller one day. We were they were trying to slot us into a particular spot, <clears throat> and um, it was flying a Jetstream Forty One. It wasn't you know an incredibly large airplane or anything, but he wound up with a a medical emergency steaming down the arrival be, or you know steaming down the, the ILS behind us. And we volunteered to go around to get out of the way. And he said, if you can, he said, make the earliest turnoff you can make. And, you know, the runway we were on was well suited for how we did that. And we made the first turnoff and cleared the runway for him. And he thanked us. And then when we were leaving an hour or so later, after we threw another batch of prisoners on the airplane, um, as we were leaving, we got a call from the ground controller and he said, are you the crew that you know came in, you know, an hour ago and such and such? And we said, yeah. And they, and he pulled us out of line and took us around the other side of the airport and literally dropped us on a runway and launched us. And it was during a period of time where normally we would expect to be in the Congo line for 45, 55 minutes. Yeah. Um, You're number and, 78 for departure. So, and it was pretty cool because the tower controller, when he cleared us, he said, uh, he said, you know, the other controller wanted me to, to tell you thanks for helping him out earlier. We're getting you out of here a little early. And it just, you know, it was just a cool little moment. Um, it was just, you know, between, you know, me and my co-pilot and a controller and it was just awesome. Uh, you know, stuff like that is, is fun, but, um, yeah, the, uh, anyway, but most challenging airports, um, I would, I would have to say Reno, Nevada. Um, the, um, you know, from a, you know, for an airline category airport, uh, you know, Reno, Nevada, definitely. 
Um, it is a it's a beautiful airport to fly into on a nice clear calm day. Um, there are very few clear calm days. It is an area that is beset by um, by wind, and you know it's beautiful and calm usually from seven to ten a.m. And uh, if you have to come in there after 10 a.m., you know, when you get all the convective heating from the desert floor and the wind coming across the ridgelines and rolling and mixing, and it can be a really, really challenging environment. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the worst roles I have had in an airplane um, were going in and out of Reno. And I, I, I lived out there for a number of years and um, I just absolutely love it out west, but um, but that is a it is a challenging place. And on a on on a windy day, the wind crossing the ridge lines can exceed 120 knots. Wow! Um, and you know you can be you you can be coming down the approach and be looking at the wind vector on your on your nav display and just be like, wow, this is really gonna suck. Yeah. Um, and as soon as you get you know, within the proximity of that, you know, you you almost picture like you know water going down a uh, you know down a river with a bunch of boulders in it. You know, the air is doing the same thing, crossing the the Sierras right there. And when you get into that area where it is rolling and boiling because it's just come across that ridge line, it can be downright ugly. Um, and uh, you know, there's 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 been one or two times where I've kind of hung on and thought to myself, you know. You know, this is this is a really bad place to be. So, um, but uh, yeah, that that I think is one of the more challenging airports, just because of that. If if you're not comfortable flying an airplane in strong wind, you you got no business being there. Um, so, I flew into uh, Santa Ana, uh, Orange County. What was it last week on on VATSIM? And I'd never flown that arrival before, and it was definitely interesting. That's for sure. Uh, isn't it though but it makes it yeah. kind of fun oh it? yeah you know? i loved it i absolutely loved it uh yeah it was just different i hadn't hadn't done that before yeah i'm gonna check yeah. out reno now, though that that's for sure yeah yeah check out reno um but uh yeah you know and then it's um you know one of my other favorite airports um is uh, up in massachusetts i grew up about a, i think 1.1 miles uh out of uh, the approach end of runway 11 at, at bedford and um you know probably about point two south of the um of the localizer and you know our dog used to run around looking at airplanes and it would trip over stuff and my parents thought that was funny and then their son started doing it and maybe it wasn't so funny anymore um but that's really you know where i sort of developed my my love of of aviation and i you know i was a nerdy kid i built a radio so i could listen to the atc channels and, yeah. and that kind of and um you know i i built a 747 simulator out of cardboard you know boxes you know in the in the attic of the house and you know so that's that for me is kind of where it all began and i i love flying in there you know i don't care how big an airplane you fly how fast an airplane you fly how you know how cool an airplane you fly um you know or you know even if your airplane is is just as cool as a as a piper cub that you know will barely go fast enough to help you change your mind um, flying over your your hometown where you used to look up at airplanes and being in an airplane looking down, there's kind of a romantic. Oh yeah, absolutely. To it. And, um, you know, and and I I kind of get you know caught every now and then going in there. Um, you know, I'll I'll fly up there to go visit my folks, and um, you know, I get caught all the time. And my my poor co-pilot, you know, more than once he's kind of you know admonished me for having my nose pressed to the glass like a dog but um 
you just you can't help it but look down at your old hometown you know that's absolutely just, yeah that's just what it's about so it's pretty cool well hey uh we're almost out of time here um i wanted to say thank you once again for you know you're giving up your time with your family to be with us and i'm sure everybody out there uh listening is saying the same thing what uh do you have anything you want to shout out to anybody or you think you're good no. uh no you know just um I mean, hey, everybody, you know, be good to one another and come visit us at the PMDG forum. Um, you know, I, I we, uh, you know, we, all of us on the dev team, we tend to hang out there and, you know, we don't answer everything because there's just not enough time in the day. Um, and trust me, you don't want us answering everything in the forum. You want us working on the next product coming. Um, right. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on and, you know, I could not be happier with, uh, than with you know how things are going and and this is a great time to be in simming and, and I'm glad we're in the middle of it and um, and you know above everything else to all of those who have been supporting us with the DC6 and the 737 and Microsoft Flight Simulator you know thank you it literally we could not do this without you guys and um, you know we we try not to toot our own horn too much we just tend to kind of stay head down and add things to the product and you know push out new new updates and stuff and that's what we do. Um, but we do that because you guys appreciate it. So, um, so thank you. We we really appreciate that. That was Robert Randazzo from PMDG. Be sure to check them out. PMDG.com. That's the place to go. I'm JT, your host from Sky Blue Radio. You know, before we go real quick, Robert, if you want to fly on VATSIM, uh, you can fly with the Pilot Club and us every Thursday. Hint, hint. And uh, you could do that. And also World Flight. I think that's in November. That'd be really cool too. I yes. Well, and and maybe I'll have to move my around the world thing a little earlier in the year. I guess, huh? Yeah, 